Living Adventurously is brought to you in partnership with Kamut, the route planning and navigation app that helps you make the most of your outdoor adventures. Whether you're cycling, hiking, running or bikepacking, Kamut's easy-to-use technology will get you out the door and exploring more of the great outdoors. You can see where I've been exploring by checking out the highlights of my journey on Kamut. Just follow the link in the show notes. My name is Alistair Humphreys. I set out on a bicycle journey around Yorkshire to speak to interesting, ordinary people who, in very different ways, are making an effort to live adventurously. I wanted to talk about what they do, about the barriers they've faced along the way, and to seek their perspective on some of the big questions that all of us encounter in our lives. Welcome to Living Adventurously. <laughs> I've written here, needs intro music. Um, okay, here we go. Um... <laughs> Have a loop. Possibly the first podcast I was ever interviewed for many years ago took place while cycling around London. Sadly, I didn't have the uh, manual dexterity of the interviewer that day, Jack, with his uh, juggling of microphones and handlebars, so I couldn't do the same with Tom Barnett, the man behind the cycle clothing brand Mamnik. I cajoled Tom out of bed at early o'clock. He wasn't entirely keen, but we rode together out of Sheffield. We were quickly out of the city and I followed him all his old uh, cycling routes and the little shortcuts and ways that he knew from years and years of biking around this area. And we were quickly out of the city onto bike tracks through beech woods. We rode past an urban fly fisherman and soon we were north of the city out into beautiful Yorkshire countryside. Unfortunately, we'd set off so early in the morning that by the time we were both ready for a cup of tea and a sit down, all the cafes were still closed. So we turned up in an uninvited, we gate crashed the house of another cycling friend of Tom's. And there at that house, after tea and toast, Tom and I sat down and I asked the fine art graduate about life as a fashion designer, about loving what you do, and also about Tom's love of cycling and exploring the hills and the lanes of the Peak District that he knows so well. So I'm with Tom, or Tom Mamnick, as I always think yeah. of you. Do other people think of you as that? I get called Mamnick. I think some people who don't understand that Mamnick is a road that goes up Mamtor, they think that that's my surname. <laughs> yes, yeah, I can imagine that. Um, you, well, what's a brief summary of what you do? Uh, I guess I just, I'm a designer, first and foremost, I guess. I mean, that seems a bit strange. I mean, I've been, I've described myself as a, when, when you meet people and say, oh, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm a, I'm a, I guess I'm a fashion designer, but I also, you know, post my own clothing. So I'm a, you know, I make the cups of tea as well. But I run a brand first and foremost. I started a brand uh, six years ago and I design <clears throat> a variety of different products from shirts to steel accessories made in Sheffield Steel to cycling kit and caps, socks. I've had down jackets manufactured all under the ethos of doing one finger at a time as beautiful as possible. Yeah, and that, that was what, what I want to ask you about because I love that right at the start of your website is one thing at a time 
as beautiful as possible. Yeah. Wouldn't you be better off making, wouldn't you make loads more money if you made a thousand things really quickly? Probably, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, if it, it were all about making money, then I probably wouldn't be, have decided to do kind of what I do. You'd have a proper job. I'd have a proper job, yeah. Although I, whenever I've had proper jobs, I've always kind of struggled to, you know, I've always been trying to look to cut corners. I remember starting off my original, uh, when I got my national insurance number, when Meadowall had been built near Sheffield. Shopping centre. Yeah, exactly. And um, I started selling cookies <clears throat> in one of the kiosks. My mum said, oh, you've got your national insurance number. You need to go and get a job now. So the, only, the first job that I got, I had some friends who were working at this cookie parlour. And that's where I started. And then from there, I was selling sunglasses in the same complex. And I, yeah, I've stacked shelves in Morrison's, but I've always, you know, it's a means to an end in it, doing jobs like that. It's just to get a bit of money. And you, you see, with those other jobs, you cut corners. What do you mean? By, you just don't really care and just rush it out? Yeah, just not been, I, I think, especially when I worked at Morrison's, they had some kind of percentage rate. And I think for every three shifts that I turned up for, like I'd, the, the fourth shift I'd, I'd have just not turned up for, so eventually I got dismissed, which it seems to be... I've, I'm not, it's not something that I'm proud of. I've probably never really... <clears throat> I weren't, like, really uh, been very responsible, but there was just definitely something in me that I wanted to make a living off of make it, doing stuff that I enjoy doing. And then I think there's a quote, isn't there, like, if you, if you make a living... Uh, if you make a job out of doing something that you love, then you'll never work a day again, is it? Yeah, something like never that? work a day in your life, yeah. Yeah. Um, but now, presumably, now you've got your own brand. You're not cutting corns anymore. Are you no, no, obsessive exactly. and definitely? Re- I mean, to the point where I, I can get a bit to <clears throat> whether it just be the packaging that, like, my products shipped in. Uh, yeah, all the finer details, as you can imagine, in designing menswear, and I've done some women's wear as well. But accessories, shirt, and it can you can become very finicky as to how your product is seen and received. So why why did you decide to go for the one thing at a time as beautiful as possible? It's a Buddhist proverb that much oh, like it? I, thought, having, I thought it was a bit clever for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> much like a, the conversation we've had whilst riding here. I've got obviously friends who I ride on bike with, and I've always found when you when you ride the bike with people, it does you spend so much time chatting, maybe a little bit more than any other sport. That there's some of the conversations that you have can be quite insightful and fantastic and before that i before i'd started the brand we're chatting a little bit about the bike been a <clears throat> it's not a means to an end it's the end in itself in regards to you know you it's just it's like the process of actually doing it and i think this proverb come up from a friend friend of mine tony had said it and i just thought oh what a fantastic ethos that'd be such a good tagline for a brand yeah well it's caught my um attention when i first when our paths first crossed a few years ago i loved that and I think it's just a good approach to life, really, mm. isn't it? Really good. It's kind of about being in the moment, I guess, you know, not... Which distract- I'm terrible at. Yeah, dis- distractions. It's getting more and more easier to be distracted, isn't it? I know we chatted a little bit on the bike earlier about the rise in the internet and how it's like slowly engulfing people's lives. But yeah, I think it's there's, there's definitely something to be said and a nice uh, sentiment in that ethos that obviously it's resonating with people because i managed to make a living out of my brand after maybe you know six months which is quite good really yeah i mean i've I've been quite lucky like living in sheffield and i had a studio from i played drums in a band so obviously all my stuff were already in there so i started kind of 
using that space to store stuff for the brand. So my overheads have been relatively low, but I've been lucky enough to to subsidize a living off of just selling product and keep putting money back in. And just as long as I can pay me rent, then it's fine. Brilliant. Um, so back in the day, you started to brew up this idea. You, you studied fine art, so you're obviously yeah. quite interested in nice stuff and stuff that looks mm. nice and you love cycling so you start to brew up this idea of oh it'd be great to have a brand but anyone who's ever been out on a bike ride with their mates has had that conversation haven't they of, oh, yeah yeah, yeah i guess so. this so um how did you go from turning this nice daydream into yeah. actual reality i think a lot of it were confidence i mean <clears throat> i'd I was working with vintage clothing while I was doing my fine art degree and I've always kind of liked clothing and fabrics and stuff like that. And as time kind of went on, I'd, 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 I'd met people who either ran factories, whether it just be like CMT place in Rotherham or, you know, someone who makes stuff with steel and being quite inquisitive and always asking kind of questions, probably much like yourself, you know, you don't mind just opening a conversation with a stranger. I'd, I'd found myself in a position where I'd met someone who were running a factory and I'd said, oh, if I designed a shirt, would you manufacture it? And he were like, yeah, no problem. And then twisted his arm to like, oh, if I, if I manufacture this shirt, would you mind? I obviously, you know, I costed it up and I said, oh, if I, if I make it, I promise you that I will sell them. Then I can just give you your money back. So he kind of bankrolled the first, he didn't say, oh, here is shirts, now you owe me five grand. It were like we did this and I sold the shirts and I, I, he got his money back. And then when the profit, when it turned to profit, then I started just putting it into other products. But I did, I think the, uh, the initial getting over that barrier of like, you know, like that confidence crisis of like, Oh, I'm gambling my own money here. Once I'd done it and I saw that I had a reception and then I had a brand, I would like, Oh, I can, I can manufacture anything now. So then it just gave me that confidence to go to other factories and see how they worked and then persuading them to manufacture stuff for me. And because most of these places were, we in, um, a cycling distance, really, I think <clears throat> suddenly this like narrative around the brand just kind of, it wrote itself. So as we were saying before about our storytelling is really important. Suddenly like this story was evolving and I weren't really having to like make it up or look for it. It was just kind of already rolling out in front of me. And so therefore it was real. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I find that most things you're trying to do in life, there's barriers that stop you. And often they're either time or money. You managed to go over the money issue by mm. that guy yeah, yeah. helping you and giving you, giving you a leg up. Yeah. But in terms of the other side of barriers is all the stuff inside our head that stops mm. us. So... What other barriers did you have that were stopping? You mentioned confidence. Was there anything else that was stopping you taking this leap to to, to try and make something out of your the fun idea of starting a brand? Not really. I th I, the, one thing that crossed your mind is you d you don't want it, anything to appear phony. You want it, to, you know that the. I've always thought that things need to feel authentic, and as I just said about the, the story, kind of just becoming real and not having to like blag it. <clears throat> Um, riding with a club and listening to stories there was sometimes I got a bit worried that you know you're listening to other people's knowledge and then you're kind of turning it into a way in which you're you know you know is it monopolize or not monopolize monetize, monetize that's the word monopolize comes next <laughs> one day <laughs> yeah yeah that's it so I kind of there was this and it still sits strange room in our you know I've got friends who have they've done the round the world bike trips 
But yeah, I've like listened to their stories, processed them and, you know, come up with like this idea of yomping, for instance. And there's still something that it's important for me still now to be doing the trips and, you know, doing a bit of lightweight touring and doing the back. Not just, I, I do love it, but also it's important for me because I want it to feel authentic still. And that's it's that's got to be like the the way forward really for the brand from now on i mean i don't know if i'm trapping myself in regards to that maybe it'll get to a point where someone might want to buy the brand and then they might employ me to just continue to ride my bike and do the social media output but that is one thing that's a bit of a still a bit of a hurdle in me as to how, how do you get to that next step when you tied yourself so closely to it yeah okay um then, yeah, well, I guess there are so many other steps as your brand. You might either choose to grow it or choose to not grow it. Who knows? But um, over the last six, almost seven years now, mm. um, what have you made any massive mistakes? Um, I think there's been, I've done stuff where I've, I don't, I don't have any regrets, but there, I've, I've made life relatively harder for myself at times by just being so outspoken like we alluded to earlier when i did the channel four thing you know to i thought it'd be mixing politics and bike riding yeah yeah i thought that there's maybe like a good um well i i I see everything as a kind of marketing opportunity when you ain't got a marketing budget so for channel four to be in touch saying do you want to do this I was just like, oh yeah, that's fantastic, and you 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 go in there blindly thinking that everybody's got this looking at the world in this good faith rather than trying to see bad in everybody. You're thinking, oh well, I can have this conversation about Brexit and it'll be fine. But obviously, you know, getting your fingers burnt off at back end of that yeah, that so weren't exactly great. But you went on a Brexit documentary, which kind of spam what you're saying, not quite how you wanted. And the, yeah, yeah, the upshot of it is you've been trolled quite a lot and just had your, and <laughs> yeah. had your instagram account shut down yeah which ironically again you know i've always seen it as there's a lot of people now that know what the brand is and you can't i don't want a brand that appeals to everybody so i wouldn't change anything but when i look back i do think oh you know if there are people who've been put off by you know fact that i voted brexit or whatever then it'd be such a shame because i'm you know there's there's so, so many narratives that can be kind of taken out of context nowadays and I thought it probably would be easier if I'd have never ever mixed you know mixed politics but it's not so much a regret it's the experience yeah just a yeah. bit of a mad experience I yeah. suppose one of the one of the things I've always really liked about um, Mamnik is the connection the, the very clear connection you have with home yeah and one of the reasons that I'm cycling around Yorkshire for a month is because the idea of home interests me so what does home mean to you um well that's a tough one isn't it because i'm from rotherham originally so that's what i would describe as been my home but most of the kind of riding and um you know the things that i'm familiar with on the day-to-day which is one which is probably one way of you know understanding what home is would be you know like riding my bike in the peak district and stuff like that which is that there's some I don't know if those two things match up, but I definitely feel at home when I'm, you know, riding roads and stuff that I that I know relatively well. And because of the topology of the Peak District, I do think that it is a fantastic place to ride your bike. Um, maybe I'm going off on a bit of a tangent. No, no, here. no, not at all. It's interesting that you say, oh, you're from Rotherham, but now you're Sheffield and Peak District, and you were almost labelling them as different things. Yeah. Whereas they're about what 10 miles apart? yeah exactly yeah so so your notion of home then is of 
hyper localized you've grew up you were born around mm. here you grew up around here have you always lived around here uh yeah yeah no, so, uh, exactly yeah so you, and and it's quite clear that you've t- taken quite a lot of inspiration from home mm. was that was that a conscious building a brand decision or was it just this is who i well i won't spoon feed you why why um why is the brand so much about home I just, again, it's like linking back to that whole idea of it feeling authentic. You know, there are p- people who, they can start a brand and, you know, for instance, their logo might, it looks like a road and then it's like, oh, what's this road? Oh, it's, it's not a road. It's just we've made it up. And I, I've always just felt as though real real people, real things, real places just resonate more with real people, I guess. So that I've, I've done it consciously, but it's kind of subconscious. It's subconscious at the same time. Um, please will you tell me about your granddad? Yeah, Eric. Yeah. Yeah, he's passed away now, but oh. uh, he, he worked in the uh, Sheffield steel industry like his entire life. Right. So, and So what connection has granddad Eric from the steel industry got to do with this trendy hipster brand? Well, I do a, a steel collection, as some of your listeners might already have seen, like made in Sheffield, and I just wanted to kind of, again... When you were talking about home, me living in Sheffield, I thought, again, it's an authentic thing. I've got the family link there with my granddad working in the steel industry for over 45 years. So I started designing bits in in Sheffield stainless steel and found a manufacturer and kind of told him what I was doing. So I had a money clip manufactured first and then I did a tie slide. And then I realized that I'm kind of making stuff from bent pieces of sheet stainless steel and so then I, well oh what else can i make so i've done like a trouser clip for a commuter like a cycling commuter i guess i did a card holder which is probably one of my favorite products really which is that's all made from a bent piece of steel and it holds a few cards and if you roll your notes up you can push them in it what did your granddad think of you doing this he'd already passed away unfortunately yeah yeah totally i mean it's such a shame that i never really got to say to him oh like look how you've kind of influenced me um but yeah in, in many respects it's 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 a nice thing to just always like every, to be able to reference my granddad every time i work with steel and it, well living in sheffield as well there's so much said about sheffield steel i know they've got the women of steel statue which i think you maybe took a photo or did you outside town hall or someone else should have it. done <laughs> yeah um yeah i think it's brilliant oh thanks um what do you think about strava mm. are you a strava cyclist i used to use strava but then i just got to a point where it felt as though it was just becoming too maybe it's just me being overly sensitive but become a bit like too politicized if you know you'd be trying to organize bike rides with people and they'd be like oh i'm not out today and then you'd open your strava and they'd like they'd gone out and done a bike ride and it got to a point where it was like oh it's starting to play a little bit of weird like uh it starts playing with your head a bit that kind of stuff and then also going back to the the one thing at a time as beautiful as possible i I felt as though it just become a bit of a distraction because i weren't training as such but it's almost like by by using strava unless you unless you've got the mindset to just you just i don't know why you'd be wanting to track your rides really you can you can basically like work it out on how long you've been at it uh hours but I just felt like it just become a big distraction, like where I found myself pressing on up an hill. And I didn't really f- understand why I was riding so hard it's to the point where I was going to like blow up probably later on. And then yeah. it was like, well, I'm, I'm just trying to beat my old times. But 
their old times didn't actually mean anything because I'm not training for anything. Yeah. Because I'm not racing, so. Yeah, you're just out enjoying it. and Exactly, and then they all like yomping your own marching pace, which has become a bit of a sub-brand. Like, that was probably a reflection to when I suddenly got that, um, it, I can't, it confirmed in my head that it, it's like, and it's not anti-Strava as such, but one thing led to another or one thing reflects the other where it's like, it's less about training and being a pro or, you know, trying to imitate the pros. It's just more about riding your bike and being in the moment really and doing things at your own pace. Yeah, that that was the sort of sense, that was why I asked you about Strava because I got that sense of, you're you're kind of, overlapping a couple of worlds you make this really mm. nice gear which i'm sure lots of strava types wear but yeah, also yeah. you're also into this yomping world of just being mm. out there enjoying it um so i back in my glory days i cycled yeah. around the world yeah and now i'm up here trying to really pay attention to local yeah um, i Today we've been nattering away about these. We saw a fly fisherman just out South Sheffield. Went through yeah. an old industrial tunnel, and I'm really enjoying this paying attention to local. Mm. So, what, what's your take on? I mean, would you would you like to cycle around the world, or do you find you can get satisfaction from the Peak District? Well, yeah, for me personally, I suppose it's a difficult one because as my brand's grown and it's all you know even my garments like i do shirts that are named after different peak district villages which i'm not i'm not sure if you knew that but yeah so I've, i'm so like close to the uh the peak district in regards to how i'm marketing myself and as that like my brand has basically become an extension of my life yeah it's weird it, that isn't it yeah like, very weird the same and the, the great the great thing about the peak district is i could do you know I could ride every day and not repeat the same road because of the network to the road. So I, I don't have a massive desire to like fully load my bike and, you know, try and ride around world as well as obviously wanting to fulfill orders. There is something that's going on where like the more I'd ride in the peak, the more if I stop and take a photo, then it feeds into my marketing and, you know, I can, I could get up in the morning and do four hour ride, come home and still like reply to me emails, post whatever's been needs posting and you know speak to suppliers so it's like building a kind of a lifestyle around the peak district but at the same time if i do ever want to go like say if i want to do you know three weeks riding in alps at that point it'd probably become a little bit more of a logistical nightmare for me but i mean i'd I'd love to see more at world on my bike but right now i mean a, a good friend of mine who cycled around the world twice he said i said oh what are best roads to ride in and he said oh peak districts because the you know the the, the network of roads are just completely unrivaled so it's it's almost like i've i've took on his experience in a way which is a bit phony i suppose but you know if he's ridden around world and seen a lot of it and then gone peak districts where it's at then yeah i can't you know i'm not going to complain about that am i yeah absolutely not i think you've got a great position where you're you've managed to get yourself to a place where, where you combine the things that you love, mm. riding bikes, design, fashion, clothes, do the things that you love that you'd probably be doing anyway, yeah. figure out a way to get paid for them. Plus you're out riding your bike in a beautiful part of the world. So I think you're Sounds pretty, pretty like... sorted. Plus you have a good network of friends living mm. in random places who when the cafes are closed, we can gate crash, drink yeah, their exactly. tea and eat their bagels. So uh, thank you so much, Tom, for showing me the lovely ride out of a, out of, Sheffield um thank you for your bobble hat and uh, yeah it's been good company so thanks thank very you. much thanks Alistair cheers
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. There's show notes from every episode on my website, alistairhumphreys.com slash podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please take a screenshot of your phone and pop it up on social media or leave a review with your podcast provider. It makes a massive difference. Thank you very much. I teamed up with Kamut to make this podcast happen. In case you missed it, Kamut is an outdoor planning and navigation app that helps you explore more of the great outdoors. One of the many ways Kamut helps you have better adventures is through their inspiring collections. Are you exploring a new area and not sure where to begin? Type in where you want to go and local collections will suggest a number of cycling or hiking tours based on the most scenic routes. It's a great way to get started exploring in a new place, particularly if you don't know where to begin. Wherever you find yourself, your very own outdoor experiences are waiting for you. Go explore more with Kamut. Head to kamut.com slash chi and use the voucher code ADVENTUROUS to claim your free region bundle.